investment. Brought to you by Impact Alpha. From Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live on tape from New York City, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the financial technology company LiquidNet. Joining me today from San Francisco by the magic of podcasting technology are my co-hosts. David Bank is the editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Great to be here. And Imogen Rose-Smith is a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. Great to be here, too. So on today's show, we're going to talk about infrastructure. Wait, 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 wait. Keep on listening, everybody. We promise this is going to be a good show. Infrastructure is an important issue with serious moral and economic implications. Just ask families seeking clean water in Flint, Michigan, or travelers to LaGuardia Airport. The water crisis in Flint focused attention on the nation's crumbling water systems, not to mention roads and bridges and our energy-wasting electric grid. The American Society of Civil Engineers report card for America's infrastructure gives the country a grade of D+. That's D+. And according to the World Economic Forum, the U.S. ranks 16th in quality of overall infrastructure, behind countries like France, Spain, and Japan. The private shorthaul in infrastructure investment is estimated to be $150 billion a year. Imogen, you're normally the skeptic in these kind of conversations. Some might even call you curmudgingly. But what has gotten you so excited about infrastructure investments? I'm not curmudgingly. I'm just a pragmatist. But no, I I am very excited about infrastructure. To me, this is like this is impact's moment. You know, we've talked a lot about the need and desire to get institutional investors into the impact space and to take impact investing seriously. Institutional investors have known for decades that infrastructure investing is a clear opportunity for them. It's not news to really anyone in the institutional space or anyone in the public policy space that we need to invest billions, if not trillions of dollars in infrastructure. The key is getting the capital to do that. Institutional investors are the natural fit for it, A, because it's large amounts of capital we're talking about investing in big projects, and B, because they're long-term asset owners who have the time to take a long-term view in projects that are gonna take years to complete. They don't need to get their returns in one year, two years, or even three years. And C, they're looking for yield. So when you have bonds that have attractive rates of return, that's gonna work well for them. The reason that you haven't seen a lot of capital really making the shift into infrastructure investing is because the funds aren't there. The traditional providers of these types of fund structures outside of the Canadians and the Australians who for other reasons are good at infrastructure investing tend to be private equity funds. Private equity funds start these funds and they're like, oh, it doesn't make enough money. We're better off doing leverage buyouts. And so the infrastructure is never core to what they do. In the impact community, though, you have all these players who realize the desperate need of communities like Flint to have better infrastructure, to have better pipes, to have better roads. And they can bring the players into the room to get these deals done, and the institutions can provide the capital. So the impact investing community is adding value and facilitating real deals. It's rare that that Imogen and I find ourselves in agreement to be excited about an opportunity, but I think you're exactly right, Imogen. I mean, the the bad markets, the equity markets, actually provide a good opportunity for these kinds of 
projects. If you can get, you know, six, eight percent, you know, yield on a on a long term investment, you know, you're pretty happy now. And so these these kinds of things both provide real services, you know, Flint being example A, um, but also lots of good b- spinoff benefits in terms of jobs and also in terms of, you know, saved lost time spent in traffic jams or water loss to leakages, lots of real practical economic uh, benefits. So Imogen, though, we don't normally think of institutional investors, pension funds, endowments, mutual funds, and the like. We don't usually think of them as impact investors. But you're trying to make the case that by looking at municipal bonds and infrastructure bonds and these kind of long-term, safe, stable investments that, that have compelling yields and also incredible impact for communities and families uh, and job creation and everything else, you think that there's a compelling case to be made that institutional investors can actually play a role and be, in fact, impact investors in this because they are the, the such a large source of capital uh, in this It's place, not just the very large source of capital. It's the type of opportunity that you're providing them with. You run a pension fund, right? So you need to get a certain rate of return. You need to hit a certain hurdle. Let's say it's 7.25%. You need to hit that annually in a zero interest rate environment. Not only do you need to do that, but you also have to pay out pensions every year. So you need to make this money and then you need some form of cash to pay out all your retirees. So you want assets that have a high yielding asset. So you're making some money and you have liquidity. Some kind of bond is great. Obviously, you're not going to invest in treasuries because you're not going to make any money there. So they're looking for yielding assets, be that like, you know, securitizing motorbikes in Thailand or investing in infrastructure. So they're actually actively looking for these opportunities. So long as you structure the deals in a way that makes sense from an institutional perspective, they're already at the table. You don't have to bring them in the door. You're not trying to create a new market or a new strategy for them. This is what they want. And what's unique about this is that you need the skill set that say the not-for-profits have somebody like the rockefeller foundation who's been in this space for years spending times in communities trying to build better communities they have an expertise that can help get the deals done that are needed to raise the capital in flint or austin or wherever it is you're going to build these projects you mentioned the Rockefeller Foundation, and one of the real innovators in this space has been the West Coast Infrastructure Exchange, which Rockefeller helped get started. What's that all about, David? It's a it's just basically a clearinghouse for projects to get them uh, organized uh, in in and ready for these institutional investors, and they have a lot of um, m- mechanisms to share the risk between the public and the private. It, it it's trying to skate this line. There's you know the the debate that quickly pops up in this infrastructure debate is privatization. Um, and a lot of this is public infrastructure and should stay public infrastructure, but we need to bring in private capital and also private managers and private contractors, obviously. So they have a lot of interesting ideas about performance-based contracting, um, pay for success that uh, ensures that the public gets its money's worth, but also keeps the political control. It's very clear that infrastructure is not just a public issue. It's just not an issue for governments to be concerned about, but it is an issue that affects businesses and consumers as well. I mean, goods are delayed at clogged ports. Delayed or canceled flights cost the U.S. economy an estimated 30 to $40 billion a year, not to mention all the ill will of disgruntled passengers. And the average American wastes almost 38 hours a year being stuck in traffic. So there's just enormous productivity gains to be had 
uh, not to mention fuel efficiencies and everything else, to really focus on infrastructure spend. It, it would help business productivity and it would help everyday Americans as well. And so it feels to me like there's a there's a galvanizing moment taking place now, right? Again, it's people think infrastructure is boring, but it's not, right? It's this opportunity. It's and in a sense, sort of Flint, Michigan has brought this, you know, viscerally into people's living rooms. They understand what this is, that if you don't take action, people's kids are gonna die. And that like that moment can be capitalized on and is being capitalized on. So I think it's sort of behoven to the impact investing community to really grasp it and run with it. Now, there's also there's infrastructure and there's infrastructure. Not not all infrastructure has uh, necessarily the same impact. So there's a lot of interesting work being done, for example, on stormwater mitigation. You know, the, the water runs down the storm drains and clogs up the, the water treatment plants and then the untreated sewage flows into the the Potomac, in the case of Washington, there's now a lot of work to be done in D.C. to green the stormwater infrastructure, you know, swales and other things that absorb the water into the, you know, without it flowing into into the rivers. And you can actually de-risk a lot of these infrastructure projects by thinking through the social environmental impacts of them. And then, then that, in turn, becomes a way that the high impact or the high positive impact infrastructure actually is a better investment than sort of 20th century gray infrastructure. And that's another reason that I'm so excited about the space is that we're also talking about climate change, right? When you start talking about water, you start talking about, you know, the, the needs to, to change our, to change the way we get, you know, energy, all of these things. It's a climate change conversation, which is another space that you know institutional investors want to put money to work. It's just hard for them to find good ways to do it. And yeah, your impact is you're having an environmental impact and a social impact, and you're producing economic returns. So if you can do all those things, let's get on it. See, I'm very excited about infrastructure. We can tell your enthusiasm is palpable, Imogen. I haven't even mentioned ERISA. What are what's ERISA? ERISA is the governing for pension funds. It tells pension funds what they can and can't do, broadly speaking. It's overseen by the Department of Labor, Treasury, and the IRS. Not me personally. Um, and it's sort of the guidelines for what institutional investors think they can and can't do. The ERISA guidance that came out late last year said that assuming it's a good investment it's okay to invest in things that also have an economic benefit the unions who have their own pension funds are very excited about this because it makes it easier for them to invest in projects that also deliver union jobs making stuff like infrastructure particularly appealing for them and in fact they are actively raising capital and talking to managers to do exactly these kinds of projects That's it. Everyone went silent because it's so exciting. Well, if you, if you start talking about infrastructure, you lose half your audience. But if you start talking about ERISA, you might lose the other half. Um, uh. <laughs> so, so basically, I get excited about the stuff that everyone else thinks is boring. And the rest of the time, I'm grumpy. Is that what we're saying? No, I, you're I, counter, I, you're I a counter-indicator. You're a counter-indicator. Uh. <laughs> I want to make a big plug for the Labor Department's uh, improved guidance on ERISA guidelines. That's... As exciting and as sexy as it gets, Imogen. It is. People were so happy about this. 
There were parties. <laughs> there ain't no party like an ERISA guideline improvement party because an ERISA guideline improvement party don't stop. There were. There were cool kids at the ERISA guideline improvement party. I'm just telling you. Well, just, just to put it in perspective, Brian, the entire venture capital industry as we know it was effectively created by ERISA – uh, an earlier round of ERISA guidelines that let pension funds invest in venture capital funds, setting off most of technology investment that led to the tech revolution of the last 20 years. So if you don't think ERISA guidelines are sexy, consider the the entire tech revolution. Thank you, David. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. If you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts these days. And be sure to leave a rating. It really helps people discover us. If you don't like the show, well, you can just keep it to yourself. Or you can send us an email with comments or suggestions to infoimpactalpha.com. For more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at Impact Alpha and visit us at impactalpha.com. Special thanks to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. In New York, I'm Brian Walsh. For Imogen Rose Smith and David Bank, this has been Returns on Investment. Thanks for listening.